Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin. Are you watching closely? How to start. I just, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? In Life Itself, a memoir, Roger Ebert begins. I was born inside the movie of my life. I was born a poor black child. The visuals were before me. I was born in it. The audio surrounded me. Molded by it. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. At first, the frames flicker without connection. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Movie Talk. What used to be a Tristram Shandy story. In which, apparently, obviously, we don't talk about Tristram Shandy minute by minute. But isn't that the point? Good Lord, what is this story all about? Cock and Bull story. Here's your host, me, Professor Robert E. G. Black. Alone. Group 16 still. Just stand by me today, as it has been. We'll get to Extreme Without an Encrypt Close soon enough. Contact Day Project Day, 1384, 10th May 2020. It should have been you. There's a really basic take on Stand By Me. It's about four boys growing up in the face of their own mortality. And there's plenty to explore just there. But I kind of like the more specific thing regarding explicitly Gordy, but also to increasingly lesser degrees. Again, because this is Gordy's story. Chris. Teddy and Vern. That thing is an old standby in this blog. Identity. Vern's is simple. He's the timid one. Clearly still more of a kid than the other three. Just look at him saying Geronimo. When he jumps off the train tracks, when Teddy goes for the dodge. But Vern has to at least grow up a little by the end. Teddy, despite how horrible his father has been to him, still idolizes his father and clearly wants to be like him. His father stormed the beaches at Normandy. My father stormed the beach at Normandy. Teddy dresses in military colors, wears what is probably his father's army belt, and surely those are his father's dog tags around his neck. And he makes a thing about playing like a soldier more than once in the course of the otherwise normal activity, like screaming, take no prisoners! Take no prisoners! When they run down the field to take a shortcut through the woods. And of course, he defends his father even to the point of threatening death when Milo Pressman calls him a loony. You call my dad a loony again, and I'll kill you. Looney, loony, loony. Ah! I'm gonna rip your head off and shit down your neck! I'm gonna kill Despite the need to be like his father, despite the possibility that he already is just like his father with fits of rage, in the end, he is resigned to doing what Chris tells him because Chris knows better. Side note, I wonder how specifically King meant it to feel like all of these boys' fathers fought in World War II or Korea, not just Teddy. Chris's father is a drunk. Gordy's father favors stereotypical masculinity in Denny, and degrades or at least ignores Gordy for not being like Denny. 
like a guy who has had that sort of thing ingrained in him for years. And surely he must have volunteered to go fight the cops whatever racist shit drove recruitment around Castle Rock. And the boys are turning 13 in 1960-ish, meaning they were boomers, born right after their fathers returned from war and got hitched. Also, it has bugged me for a long while that Denny died in a Jeep accident. I was under the impression, my own father had a Jeep CJ5 since as long as I can remember, that Jeeps were still military vehicles until at least the 70s. So I've assumed for years that maybe Denny had signed up for military service, even though the film doesn't explain it well. So I checked the book for a moment. Also, I checked the Wikipedia on Jeep and learned they had some commercial models just after World War II. And find first a reference to the flag on Dennis's coffin at his funeral. And then I page backward and find that sure enough, he died at Fort Benning, Georgia, where he was in basic. Also, Book Gordy cried a lot at the funeral. But the film needs an opening for Gordy to talk about how much his brother's death bothers him. I didn't cry at Denny's funeral. I think, and I recall something from an interview or an introduction somewhere, but not in the Different Seasons collection. King saying something about going to see a dead animal, that King was writing from his own personal experience. Each of the four boys has a little of King's own childhood in him, probably. King's own father left when he was young. And I swear King has referenced his own alcoholism and drug problems in connection with his father being an alcoholic as well. But I can't recall where I read that. Maybe I invented it. This film is set in an interesting time. World War II was the older generation's problem. Korea hit their parents or their older siblings. And Vietnam isn't here yet. I imagine, separate from what little we learn about these boys' lives at the end of the film, that Chris and Gordy might have been drawn into the free speech movement or the anti-war movement. Teddy probably would have volunteered for Vietnam and he'd come back even more damaged than he already was. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail, and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. And all he's around town is odd jobs, because he's probably volatile and unpredictable. Vern probably dreaded the draft coming, or maybe since Vern was the fat one, he wasn't in the right shape for active service. It's interesting that years later, when Jerry O'Connell became a household name of sorts, around the time of Sliders, and then later with Scream, he was physically so much different than he was in this film, as to be unrecognizable. His face was still mostly the same, but he'd become tall and thin. Not that Vern is particularly overweight, but he fits a type in the story. Chris and Teddy are the normal ones, Gordy the thin one, Vern the fat one. Chris might have even become a sort of revolutionary, or at least a hippie. Maybe more the latter, as he always made the best piece. Chris, who had always made but the best piece. a little establishment enough by becoming a lawyer. But even violent radicals like Bill Ayers, Bernadine Dorn, or Mark Rudd turned into responsible adults once they weren't on the run from the FBI. Gordy, in the book, ends up an English teacher and a writer, just like King. And looking more at the book, keep in mind I read The Body at least 30 years ago. I'm surprised to find that Vern and Teddy actually died before Chris did, and duh, Teddy never got into the military because of his ear, which in the book he's also got a hearing aid and his bad vision. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear the kept said him out. it might be an improvement. Never mind Gordy as the last survivor, though that might tie in well with the obvious theme of growing up in the face of mortality. All he needs is the singular trigger of the friend he clung to through the years. Chris is a great character. He just now has a complicated life we are only barely seeing. He comes from a family nobody likes. His older brother is a hooligan. Chris himself is a thief, but he can't manage to be one of those little life chambers kids. He snags his father's gun and all the remaining bullets just in case, and assumes his father will think he used all the bullets when he was drunk, shooting at cans. But there's an interesting beat in the film, 
Chris gets dropped off in town by two guys in a pickup truck who seem perfectly fine with giving this kid a ride. And in the book, it's a car that Chris gets out of instead of the back of a pickup. Far more personal. He's at Chambers, but clearly that isn't as bad as being a Duchamp. There are levels to Castle Rock. Class levels. And Chris has the potential to rise out of the position prepared for him. Teddy might aim to, but it is hard to imagine that he ever would. The movie version of Vern's future is understandably simple. I heard that Vern got married out of high school, had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenal He got married and had kids. But so did Gordy. Chris, though. Try to imagine him growing up and getting married. It's harder. There's something about him, and maybe part of that is subconscious, because River Phoenix would never get the opportunity himself, that it feels like maybe he'd have some passionate love affairs, but they would be brief. He would always be too busy saving people, breaking up fights, taking on underdogs as clients in court, protesting the war in Vietnam. In the book, Gordy says, We both dated through high school, but no girl ever came between us. Then he says a line I'm not going to repeat here, though I did put it in the blog. Does that sound like we went and that's a derogatory term for being homosexual. It would have to most of our old friends, Vern and Teddy included, but it was only survival. We were clinging to each other in deep water. I've explained about Chris, I think. My reasons for clinging to him were less definable. His desire to get away from Castle Rock and out of the mill's shadow seemed to be my best part, and I could just not leave him to sink or swim on his own. If he had drowned, that part of me would have drowned with him, I think. And finally, Gordy offers this after he reads about Chris's death. I told my wife I was going out for a milkshake. I drove out of town, parked, and cried for him. Cried for damn near half an hour, I guess. I couldn't have done that in front of my wife. Much as I love her, it would have been pussy. Chris is a powerful force in these other boys' lives. An absence to be felt. And we will have to leave Gordy's part of it for next time. And maybe I'll finally get to Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I realize watching Stand By Me again this past year several times for the blog, why it really needs to be high on my list. There's so much there. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Movie Talk. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, or Facebook at Cock Bull Minute, or check LemonDrops.com for links. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a Mandalorian. Why would you create such an abomination? This is the weapon of the coward. The, uh, it's a past stuff that dreams are made of. Cut. That's a wrap. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! Shut up! Shut the fuck You have no right to take me Shut up! Will you shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! You're still here? Shut up! Now! It's over. Go home. Go.